Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of Radio 815. I am your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Inestroza, the podcast dedicated to J.J. Abrams, his work, and the extended Bad Robot universe. Right now, we are talking Alias Season 4. Last week on the podcast, we talked about the season premiere, Authorized Personnel Only Part 1. This week, we're taking a look at the first half of Season 4, Episodes 2 through 11. This season of Alias was most notable for season three kind of got off the rails and JJ said they felt that they were more plot driven and not as true to the characters. He stepped in, wrote the first two episodes of the season to steer them in a new direction. And because of Lost as its lead in and Desperate Housewives being such a hit, Alias got to run basically from... January all the way through with only one week off. So it really got a lot of forward momentum from not having any repeats and people got to just watch the story unfold without having to guess what time it was on, which was good for the ratings. Um, Story-wise, this first half of the season is a little bit all over the place, starting with the continuation of authorized personnel only. Like I said, the last script that JJ would write for this, where we find out that the secret file that Sydney read at the end of season three is not really that earth shattering, but also seems a little bit off. It says that Jack has killed Irina Derevko in his downtime that we didn't see. He went on some mission and killed Sydney's mother, which really feels like a weird. A weird thing to be in that file, a weird thing for Lauren to have known about, to direct Sydney to that file. So, also, you know, when Sydney was reading that, it's supposed to be some sort of earth-shattering thing that changes her entire worldview. But Jack killing Irina doesn't feel like that to me. It does feel like a betrayal because Sydney and her mother still have this weird, estranged relationship. But because she wasn't in any of season three, I feel like to just say like, oh, she's dead now is such a cop out um, that that was really frustrating. And the other highlight of this episode um, is that as everybody is getting sucked into APO, Marshall gets recruited and he finds out that everybody is still part of it. And his reaction when he gets to APO and he sees Sloan and he goes, uh, guys, Sloan is here. Did, did you guys notice that Sloan is here? And they're like, yeah, we, we know Sloan is here. Uh, so that part was good. But that whole file thing just felt like at the end of season three, the writers set something up and whatever it was, JJ was like, no, I'm that's not it. We'll just switch it to something and move on uh, and get over it pretty quick because it's not even something that Sydney dwells on the entire first half of the season, only the first couple of episodes. Um, and then they sort of advance past it. I really was intrigued um, when they set that whole thing up, starting with the finale for uh, season three, you know, what was in the file, the, the program that Sydney was a part of or wasn't a part of. And when, you know, they ultimately revealed that Jack had a part in Arena's death, I call bullshit. 
I, I, mm. That thing was like the biggest crock of shit I could have ever heard. I was like, that's a giant waste of time. <laughs> I know she's not dead. I know she's going to come back. And that's a giant waste of time. I just, I'm like, whatever. Um, yeah. You know, for this uh, first half, there, there were things that I enjoyed. But for the most part, like you said, I did feel that this first half of season four was meandering a little bit. Like, I thought that, that they're, they did a bad job of focusing the story to the point where I wasn't really that invested. I mean, there were some things that I enjoyed and I was invested in. Like, for example... You guys may remember last season I criticized Vaughn for not being that overly emotional when he find out, when he found out that Lauren betrayed right. him. One thing that I did like is that in one episode um, early on in this first half, Vaughn deals uh, with a young woman and he basically tells her that because of what he did to Lauren, he's suffering for it, and he's and he's finally dealing with it, and he's finally showing some uh, conflicted emotions towards that whole thing with Lauren. So I did appreciate that, just based on the fact that I thought that the writers last season dropped the ball on that, and I love the fact that they decided to pick that up to a, a certain extent. The other thing that I really enjoyed is something really minor, and it's really something small, and it, and it's only something that people that love J.J. Abrams, like you and me, would pick up on. But in the episode when, um, uh, for some re for some weird reason, uh, uh, Sydney and her sister, uh, I can't remember her name right now, I'm sorry. Nadia. Decide to have, I'm sorry? Nadia. Yeah, they decide to have a party in their house. And um, at one point in the party, Sydney and I think it's Vaughn who step outside and they start talking. But when Nadia opens up the door, can you, you tell all everybody when that <laughs> happened, I lost my shit. And that can only happen if you guys know a little show that we're going to start talking about here very, very shortly. And I just lost my mind <laughs> yeah. because I love shit like that. I, I'm like, the second that happened, I was like, drive shaft, drive shaft, drive shaft. You know, <laughs> again, you guys won't understand what that is unless you've seen Lost. But I love that JJ's universe, or what we've affectionately called it here, the Bad Robot universe, has those little touches with Slusho, the, the, with, with Drive Shaft, with um, the, the Big Evil Corporation from Cloverfield. Mm -hmm. Those those uh, organizations and, you know, the number 47 is all over J.J.'s work. And for me, for a guy who's been a fan of J.J. for a while, for me who likes stuff like that and for a guy who likes Easter eggs, that was just really fulfilling and really fun. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I did like is that they decided to do some more character development with Vaughn this season in reference to his father wasn't the person that he thought he was. Now, for a second, I was like, did they have to do that? Because we did mention in a previous episode that uh, I believe it was you, Matt. 
Yeah, everybody's extended family is a spy or a double agent or whatever. I really like the fact that um, we finally got to learn something about Vaughn and we finally, uh, we, we, you know, I'm really interested to see where that ends up going. Mm-hmm. Um, I did enjoy the stuff with Dixon not feeling so comfortable comfortable with Sloan and him having to tap Sloan's house phone, his office phone, and his I think he tapped his car phone. But I did like the fact that, you know, despite the fact that we have basically the game back together, Dixon f- still feels that Sloan has an end game. And I like the fact that because of Dixon's um uh worry about Sloan that almost back that almost backfired in their face. And and, right. that, and that almost cost Jack his life. And yeah. also I like the fact that Jack is still keeping secrets from Sydney. I did say earlier that that annoyed me, but those little things that I mentioned, the 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 JJ Easter eggs, the Vaughn, the Vaughn father stuff and and Jack's behavior is really the only thing that really kept me intrigued um in this first half. I I know, you know, I know I should be invested in the Vaughn and Sydney relationship garble, but I think I'm really over that. I don't think they put that on the back burner quite a bit though, because even when, you know, Vaughn is having this character development, the him and Sydney romance is not part of the show, even though they are together or whatever. Like, it's not like we get a lot of scenes of them hanging out and being lovey dovey. Um, it's just, it's taken a backseat completely. I, I, I was really struggling for things to be invested in, uh, in this first, uh, in this first half. And I really had a problem with the fact that there wasn't any sense. I felt that there wasn't any, any central for- focus. I felt that we weren't really, going towards anything especially the way that the plot had been handled in previous seasons it doesn't feel like there is a a straight through line and like a clear this is where they're heading kind of end game and some of those like one-off episodes of this are better than others like i didn't really care for the one where (laughs) Sydney gets in contact with that infectious drug, which is kind of like the alias version of like a zombie episode where, you know, she gets bitten and they got to find the cure and she's got these hallucinations. And that whole episode, other than the the awesome scene that you mentioned where Dixon confronts Sloan, um, like it just felt like a bridge too far. Like they're, they were getting a little bit away from what makes the show good. But I loved that scene with Dixon where... He says to Sloan, you know, the reason I never saw through SD6, the reason I never even suspected is because I didn't realize anyone could be such a big piece of shit like you are to have true evil motives and and fool all these people. But I love that he says to him, like, but that's not true this time. Like, fool me once shame on you fool me twice can't get fooled again you know i will be waiting for you i will be watching and no matter when you think you've got one over on me you don't and carl lumley in that moment and even ron rifkin as sloan like the that was like some of the best acting they both have done in this series and i thought that scene was one of the best scenes of this entire first half the other thing i really liked in terms of Mission Impossible-esque was 
the episode five, Welcome to Liberty Village, where Vaughn and Sydney are brought to that village located in Russia that resembles a, an American town um, where they're going to be training uh, for like a terrorist cell and they go undercover. And that was very similar to like a Mission Impossible sort of storyline. But I love that it's it's Mr. and Mrs. Smith and the Americans kind of, you know, wrapped into one in that moment where they are are trying to pull one over on these people, but they are actually already agents and their cover gets blown. And then it ends with a ridiculous helicopter crashing into a house because of an EMP. And it was like so over the top and fun that it was like one of those great kind of diversion episodes where everything else didn't matter. And then for the last little bit to sort of pull me back into caring, we get that, two episode arc with Anna Espinosa, Gina Torres is back and Sark uh, figures into those two episodes quite a bit. And it deals with the Rambaldi prophecy about Sydney and Nadia and how the two sisters will confront one another and only one will make it out. Um, and I thought that that brought us back to the sort of the alias flavor that they had already established through most of the other seasons, that two episode arc, um, really was more what I hoped the rest of the season would be where we still are dealing with some of this mythology and the familiar characters come back for, for one last, you know, hurrah before they disappear for the rest of the season. Um, so that stuff I really enjoyed. And I did notice there were a couple of good guest stars in this first half, but not as many as they've had in the past. Um, so Jason Siegel, you know, pre, you know, his, his rise to fame, um, is in episode 11 as the, the American guy that Sydney sort of screws over on her mission and then has to, to help. Um, Kelly McDonald from train spotting plays like a conflicted nurse in one of the episodes. And because I always mention people who were on supernatural in episode four, um, Richard Sprite jr. The trickster from supernatural, um, is a guy that Sydney has a meeting with about a weapon. And whenever I see anybody from my other favorite shows, I always do that Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV moment. Uh, so those were sort of like the highlights for me, but overall kind of a wildly uneven first half. You mentioned that great, that great mission impossible esque episode where um, I think it's called welcome to Libertyville. Um, that episode is actually eerily similar to a Mission Impossible season one episode called Contagion, where the IMF infiltrates a Russian training facility because they're going to, uh, they're going to unleash, uh, um, Ebola all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I, I really did appreciate that. You mentioned that, uh, things got better when, uh, Zoe came back uh into play i say zoe because i can never get a freaking name and you know this. yeah um the thing that i think that i latched on to in this season because if you're listening right now you're like this guy didn't latch on to anything why is he talking about this i did appreciate the relationship between sydney and nadia i i thought that the writers did a really good job at showing us that although Sydney is kind of mistrustful of Sloan, obviously, and 
is mistrustful of her father and is mistrustful of her mother, she does her best to make her twin sister feel as uh, as welcomed into this into the Bristow family as she can. Um, she, Sydney from day one has very has been very compassionate, but it seems to me that when she's dealing with Nadia for the most part. She's very, very compassionate and very, very loving towards someone who she didn't know existed until a couple of years ago. Mm. And I really appreciated that because me being a lonely child, I, I kind of love stories where I see sibling, I see siblings come together and, and sibling discourse and all that because I never had that as a, yep. w- when I was growing up. So I appreciate stories that uh, sprinkle um, that in uh, wherever they can. So I did like that aspect of this season. But again, for the most part, I had a really big problem in that there was no real focus as to where the hell we're going. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I do know that someone is coming and I do feel that what Sloan and Jack are doing is interesting, but I'm like, okay, what, what's the end game here? Give us something or show us or give us an arrow to like what we're going. There's like nothing. Right. They haven't, they haven't tipped their hand enough yet. I do like that Jack and Sloan have something going on that we're still unclear about what it is. And I think you're totally right that last season when Nadia was introduced, she didn't feel like a full fledged person. She just felt like a, a plot device to sort of, add some drama to the mix. Um, and this year they let her grow as a person and as a character where we actually start to get endeared to her and care about her a bit more. And part of that is the way that her rapport with Sydney is. And there's that episode where they both go on a mission together undercover to infiltrate that mob guy's girlfriend's hotel room. Um, and I like that. And also having Weiss, absolutely adore Nadia and, and sort of like fall in love with her um, makes us like her more. And, and she feels more like a fleshed out character this year rather than last year where it was just like a, they were throwing a wrench into the plotting by adding her on. You mentioned um, the relationship between Weiss and Nadia. I I really loved all that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I kept thinking that the writers were going to pull out the rug from, the, I kept thinking that the writers were going to pull out the rug from under me again. And yeah. for some reason, I thought that they were going to kill Weiss. And if they killed Weiss, I would have been, I would have been really pissed off. I would have, been, oh, yeah. I, would have, <laughs> I, would have I would have considered not doing the podcast anymore. But no, I, I kid. I would, have been, I would have been really pissed off. Um, but I really like their rapport. Like, I really hope that they end up together. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what's going to happen with them. Um, but... I, I, I'm sorry. I keep harping on this, but the lack of, the lack of a, overall, I, the lack of overall roadmap, uh, for this first half really bothered me, and which is kind of funny because I've never had a problem with Alias doing standalone episodes and doing episodes about this and episodes about that, but in the other seasons. They did that, but they sprinkled in clues to where we were going, and they and they and they sprinkled in clues to a to a bigger overall picture. And I feel that we didn't get that in this first half. 
I'm sorry I right. keep harping on it, but I just well, and And what's weird is, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show that this was the first season that actually ran consecutive without, like, repeats. So it would have lent itself to having more serialized episodes. But I feel like there must have been, I don't know if it was an ABC mandate or, like, a, a JJ mandate where they said, hey, guys... Let's scale back a little bit of the week to week. You need to have seen every episode to know what's happening in this episode. Uh, serialization of it so that new viewers could just jump in. Because it did start to feel a bit more like those, you know, you can watch any episode of CSI and it doesn't matter if you've seen the 800 before it. Um, it felt a little bit like that where they were trying to deserialize it or have the serialization be... You know, like five minutes at the start, five minutes at the end, but the the 40 minutes in between you could enjoy if you hadn't ever seen Alias before, which actually makes the people who have watched all of Alias less satisfied and less content. But for people who are just changing the channel, they might latch on because then they see some cool, you know, spy mission with jets, (laughs) some pop tune at the time, you know, blaring full blast, right? So it's a bit of, a bit of give and take, and I don't know that they necessarily found the right balance for it in this first batch. No, I, I don't I don't think they found the right balance for it at all. Because I was like, at one point I was like, do I really need to see this? I'll just watch the first five minutes, and then I'll just skip, I'll just skip to the last five minutes, and I'll be fine. Right. I... <laughs> Like I, I don't. I'm not. I this this isn't as bad as the Lauren thing because the Lauren thing was was an astronomical mistake in my head. The Lauren thing right. almost made me want to almost made me want to stop watching the show. I got yeah. so I got so pissed. But the fact that we are now in we are almost at the beginning of the end here. Right. And I'm like, guys. We're not focused. Like, what are we doing? Like, what can you just? I don't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, Matt, you you probably know, you probably understand my frustration. But I, the the last thing I'll say, I've said it, um, I've said it already. But the major problem, uh, at least for me in this in, in this first half, was the was the lack of investment. The the lack of the lack of a of a secondary story big enough to keep me interested to see the rest. Now I'm gonna see the rest, but I think that they could have done something a whole lot better. Right. And uh I'm really disappointed that they didn't do something better. Yeah, it almost feels like they in trying to broaden the the appeal of the show, they actually diluted the appeal of the show. And they sort of missed the mark on what people liked about the show. And this is still like, they don't know that, that they're in the end game yet. Cause I don't think that they realized that the next season was going to be the last while this is going on. But partly the reason the next season is the last is because this one does so much wheel spinning and doesn't have that forward momentum that, um, you know, a lot of the hardcore fans weren't happy with the direction and I, I don't blame him because, yeah, it's it was fine. But there were lots of episodes where I was like, I bet I could just skip to the end and uh, watch the next one. And I wouldn't have missed any of the 
the main stuff that you need to know. The only thing that I'm really hoping will happen, we've hinted, or at least I've hinted at it in previous podcasts, and even Matt, you've hinted at it. I want Arena to show up again because I know she's coming. I don't know when she's coming. Mm. And I think that when she shows up, that is going to be the biggest piece of me being invested into the end of the show. Right. Because at this point, I'm like, guys, to get me back, you're going to have to do something. Like, to get me back, you're going to have to kill Sloan. And I don't, I, I, I know that doesn't, I, I know that doesn't happen until the end, but I need something to convince me that the end, which is coming, which we've, which we've said, I need something to hold me over as we get to the end here. Um, now, what, what are you, what are you looking forward to in the second half, if anything at all? Well, and yeah, I am looking forward to stuff in the next batch of episodes like you you said you know you're pretty sure that arena shows back up and uh we'll find out how that's possible and why um more of the the drama with vaughn discovering what may or may not have happened with his father and how that all goes down um there's some big moments with dixon coming up that i'm i'm excited for as the Sloan and Dixon sort of entanglement continues. So they have set the table for a lot of good stuff. Um, and honestly, it's been so long, you know, 15 years since I've watched these episodes that I don't remember the exact ins and outs of how this is going to go. Um, so I'm looking forward to more of the good character driven stuff and hopefully a few more episodes with the fun mission impossible esque action that alias does so well when they choose to do it. One thing I will say, um, I really thought that I was going to hate Nadia. Like the only thing I can remember from my original watch of Alias many, many moons ago is that I hated Nadia. Like Mm -hmm. that's the only thing I remembered. And I could say that the actress who plays Nadia is doing a wonderful job so far. I don't know what the hell I was on the first time I watched the show, but uh, yeah, I like her more this time around. And I think part of it is that at the time it just felt like, why are they doing this? Like there was no real purpose to the character. It just felt like adding someone to kind of, I don't know, give Jennifer Garner a break for like a few scenes. But, um, I'm finding on the rewatch, like there's a bit more depth there and certainly she is portrayed in a likable fine way that uh, it's not bugging me as much. If I could backtrack here for a second, this is going, I'm going to just rewind here just to illustrate a point. Um, in, la- in last season, when the, uh, the big bad corporation was, was, uh, uh, was announced, right? The, the core, I can't even remember their name now. They were so mm-hmm. forgettable. When uh, the big bad corporation who support who's who supposedly kidnapped Sydney and supposedly made her a sleeper agent, right? That corporation really led to nothing. Like, um, I was expecting more out of that corporation and more out, because they built it up to be the replacement for the alliance, and we've. We've heard the name of the alliance mentioned in these in this first half, but that 
big evil corporation just led to nothing. They were introduced and like I feel nothing came of it. Part of that I think is JJ um stepping in and course correcting and they were mostly there to serve as part of Sloan's like redemption storyline um because he had dirt on that corporation and part of his plea deal or whatever was involving that. So I feel like that was kind of like a red herring to getting Sloan back into the fold over the, the course of this. And they do mention the Alliance in these last episodes because they think that Sloan is basically trying to reassemble the Alliance in a, some new form, which of course just feels like, okay, they realize getting rid of the Alliance so soon was a mistake. And now they want to, patch that back together because they they wrote it out before they should have you know i uh, one thing i noticed i did i did enjoy that i think one i think one or two episodes were written by drew goddard in this first half that was mm-hmm. that was cool and for like and for like film fans like me and matt when we see the name drew goddard we're you just happy bells go off in her head and drew's drew's episode was the one where they go undercover in the village right oh yeah so oh, yeah so it was like one of the best, one of the best ones. Uh, he didn't write any others in this first batch. He's a, a producer now, but he writes more in the back half. But that was his his one episode that he did write was that one. That basically wraps up the first half of Alias season four. We will be back next week to chat episodes twelve through twenty one as we start to move into the end game. Um, like I said, not necessarily of the series, because I don't think they knew that the year after was going to be the final, but certainly of wrapping up a lot of these story threads and hopefully moving us in a nice new direction. If you guys have any questions, comments, or anything, use the hashtag Radio815 on Twitter. We will get to your questions or comments. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, what's the best way for the people to reach you? If you guys also want to get in touch with me and talk about alias or lost or the fact that we might get some more uh bad robot easter eggs in the future i'm also on twitter you can just uh reach me at creek fanatic 88 all right so only a couple of weeks left of alias before we move to a deserted island far far away uh so until then thanks very much for listening and we'll talk back soon